please listen uh, now for the word of God. Ecclesiastes 9, 1, 12. For all this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is begot- forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom to Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Wei, Wei Ho. I'm a RUF campus minister with a ministry called RUF Gotham, serving college students here in the city, and I, I attend Exilic. Um, and uh, to, to all of those of you who are watching that might be students, congratulations. Um, graduation is soon coming, or if you're still in the thick of finals, uh, we're, we're together with you in that. But I so, feel so blessed to be here with you preaching and continuing their series. Um, today I'm going to be talking about happiness. And... Uh, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These were the iconic words that are pinned in our country's Declaration of Independence. Uh, This is from Great Britain to start this country. This country's founders believe that God gave us these, endowed with everyone, these unalienable rights, and that describes well what every single person wants in life, and that is to be happy. From year to year, from life stage to life stage, we chase and we pursue happiness. 
Whatever that means for us, whatever it takes, we want to be happy. And our parents, for many of us, our parents immigrated to this country so that we would have a better life. So how are we doing in the central life pursuit? Are we happy? Are you happy? For so many of us, that answer, if you're honest with yourself, is no, or not. Maybe you were before COVID, but not anymore. Uh, you were looking so forward to going on that vacation with your besties to Santorini, Greece, but then this pandemic happened and wrecked all your travel plans. You were excited about this new job and what this could finally mean for your life and your career, but now you realize three months in, you already hate this job. You were happy. You were dating that guy and things seemed to click and everything was perfect, but now you've broken up, you're an emotional wreck, and you still feel that clock ticking. Or you reminisce about the honeymoon days of your marriage where there's love in each other's eyes, and now there's kids and there's bills and there's strife with in-laws. Or maybe life was going fine, but now suddenly out of nowhere your parents have cancer. Or maybe you have it all. You have 99% of what anyone on this earth would want. You have money, possession, fame, achievements, and you are still not happy. You ask yourself, why am I not happy? Happiness, we all want it, but it seems so fleeting. It can change on a dime. It's there, but then it's gone. And there were things that we thought would make us happy, but they've come and gone. It gives us a high for a few minutes, but then we're left wanting. So what's the answer? Fill in the blank. If I could just have, achieve, woo, experience, know, get into, blank, I would be happy. Well, throughout history, there have been uh, mainly two uh, ways to think about this problem. Uh, these would be what I would call secular humanist narratives on how we, we as, uh, as humankind should pursue happiness. I'm, I'm getting a lot of this from a psychologist called, uh, his name is Jonathan Haidt. Uh, he wrote the book, Hap The Happiness Hypothesis. So the first dominant view, and I would say this is the dominant view in our day and age for the most part in Western society, is that in order to be happy, we have to figure out the things that make us happy. We are not to let others define for us what they are. And then once we figure those things out, we're to go hard after those things. We're not to, let, not to let anything or anyone get in the way of our happiness. And if they do, they're, they're awful, oppressive people. Uh, don't be ashamed of your desire to indulge your desires, whether it's career achievements, whether it's romance, whether it's life experiences or pleasures. Be true to yourself. You do you. If it feels good to you and it makes you happy, then do it. Glenn Close, a famous actress, uh, in her 2019 Golden Globes acceptance speech, where she won Best, uh, Best Actress for the movie The Wife, um, said this of her mom. In her 80s, she said to me, I feel like I haven't accomplished anything. It was so not right. And I feel like what I've learned from this whole experience is women, we're nurturers. That's what's expected of us. We have our children, we have our husbands, if we're lucky enough, and our partners. 
But we have to find personal fulfillment. We have to follow our dreams. We have to say, I can do that, and I should be allowed to do that. So that's the first view. The other dominant view, which has been actually around longer than the first, says that the problem with you is that you want and you expect too much. That you're setting yourself up to be let down and hurt. Life is going to disappoint you, so control your desires so that you don't become discontent. So this is, you know, kind of uh, Greek Stoic philosopher Epictetus taught this. He said, do not seek to have events happen to you as you want them to, but instead want them to happen as they do happen, and your life will go well. In a similar way, this is what Buddhism and what other Eastern views teach as well, that we need to suppress, uh, detach, we need to manage our desires and not to become too attached. Life is not about changing the world so much as it's changing how we see the world and what happens. That's the second view. So two compelling narratives, maybe as you're hearing and thinking, you're closer to one than the other. Maybe you, used to be, you tried one side and now you're closer to the other in a way of coping. Maybe you're in the middle, you're a mix of the two. But regardless, I want us to hear now then, what does scripture have to say to us? What does, how does Christianity square with these uh, secular narratives of happiness? So to, the, to do that, uh, what Pastor Brian just read, we'll be parked mainly today in Old Testament wisdom literature in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to draw out three things in relation to these two views. That true and lasting happiness ultimately does not come from, one, indulging our desires, two, suppressing our desires, and that three, we actually look at what Scripture says where true and lasting happiness comes from. So it doesn't come from indulging our desires, suppressing our desires, it comes from somewhere else. So first, um, happiness not found in indulging our desires. Uh, I don't know if you're more of a Nike fan or Adidas fan or, or neither, but uh, you know, there's one Kobe Bryant Nike commercial that stands out for me. Um, just yesterday he was enshrined in the Hall of Fame uh, it's him and, and Kanye West, it was like 10 years ago, and it's, the setting is like a TED Talk where Kobe's on the floor and Kanye's in the crowd, and Kanye's asking him questions, and he goes, goes to, Kanye says this of Kobe, how much more do you want from me? More, Kobe says. How much more successful do you want me to be? More successful. I mean, how, how many records can my records break? More records. Kanye is incredulous, but I'm the best. Uh, I won't go any further, but it's funny because of the dogged, hardworking mentality that we knew that Kobe Bryant had, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. But Kobe's refrain also here epitomizes for us what our culture, uh, epitomizes culture when it comes to happiness. More. We need more. We need more pleasure. We need more success. We need more fame. Ecclesiastes was written by a man who experienced everything there is to experience in this life and then some. He was not some theorist with abstract conjectures. He had real life experience. He was the wealthiest man of his time. He was the most powerful man of his time. And we're told in the Bible that he was the wisest man of his time because he asked God for wisdom and God gave that to him. 
This is none other than King Solomon of Israel. And, and during his reign, his nation saw unparalleled wealth, power, and prosperity and flourishing. Some of you probably know this. He had many, many wives, uh, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Um, that's like every Miss Universe, Miss America, whatever. He could do whatever he want in building projects with his resources. You're playing Minecraft, uh, he's doing that in real life. And it says then in Ecclesiastes 2.9, he says this of himself, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I, I did not keep from them. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So you see that he's seen it all He's done it all, he's heard it all, and yet he still says, I feel, felt so empty. And he says it over and over in this book, and he says it in so many different ways. And there's this kind of, just a one kind of taste of that, verses, uh, chapter one, verse 14 of Ecclesiastes. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it's all a vanity, it's a striving after the wind. You want more? Solomon had that, he had more, but it was never enough. He had been to the mountaintop of human experiences and he reports back a soul-crushing emptiness. There's something missing. Is this, is this all that there is to life? I was expecting so much more. So not only is happiness not found in indulging our desires, but we have also, you see in our passage today, these great enemies of death and suffering that are lurking at all times. Look with me then with our, the passage today from chapter nine, first two verses. He says, uh, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, whether the righteous or the wise, their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice, as a good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. And then in the next verse, verse three, punches that home, that the same thing happens to all of us. We die. Dread it, run from it, destiny arrives all the same. Right, the villain, big villain in Avengers, Infinity War, Thanos. And the same thing here, uh, Solomon says, we're all going to die. The same event happens to all. It doesn't mean if it matter if we're righteous or evil, uh, the sinner or not, whether we swear or we shun an oath, whether, you're, whether you sacrifice to God or you don't, you're going to die. Two realities of life, right? Death and taxes, by the way, tax day is tomorrow, get it done, turn it in, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Um, but death operates on a non-discrimination policy. It is certain you and I will all die. It's a matter of time, but we don't know when, right? We're going to die, but there's the unpredictability of when that's gonna happen. And, and so uh, look with me now to verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish, they're taken out in evil net. Like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. 
you can spend, and maybe you have, you can spend your entire life planning, training, preparing, investing, positioning yourself, and just like that, it could be taken away from you. It can all come crumbling down. We don't know our time. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. And I don't need to go too deeply into it, but you and I know that we have felt more vulnerable than we ever have before in these last year or two as we've had to sit back and reflect on our mortality because of COVID. So that's the first point, uh, that, that happiness cannot be found in simply indulging our desires. The second thing uh, is that happiness is not, true and lasting happiness is not found in suppressing our desires. And so probably I've messed up your, your morning already. You're thinking, so maybe I need to ad- adopt a more defensive protective way of approaching life. I need to manage and control my desires so I don't get my hopes up and get my heart crushed. Um, I I, I need to suppress them. So while the Bible does critique uh, this kind of secular hedonism, our passage also in a positive way critiques this other detachment view about suppressing your desires. Look with me now in verse seven to 10. It says this, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already proved of what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion of life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with, all your, with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Um, This actually might surprise some of us, but the scriptures actually call us to enjoy our lives. Um, Enjoy food and wine. Enjoy the one that you love, your spouse. Enjoy and enjoy and work hard at your job. And by the way, the the white garments and oil in verse 8. It's about celebration. So unlike uh, different Asian cultures where the color white would be the, a color of mourning at death, in the Hebrew culture, clean white garments were expensive and reserved only for the most special of occasions. And the same was true for perfumes and oils. So rather than suppressing our desires, the Bible here actually speaks positively of sex and work and food. I also want you to notice that there's contentment here as well. Maybe you read this passage and you immediately think, well, wait, I don't, I don't have a spouse. I'm currently without a job right now. Um, I want you to pay attention to the word your here that Solomon says. Your bread and wine, your garments, your wife or spouse, your toil. What this is about, it's about enjoying what belongs to us or rather what God has given to us. This is not about searching, reaching, grasping for what is not ours. He is saying, enjoy your life, your work, your spouse, your meal parties. Enjoy all of your God-given days with your God-given family, with your God-given food and drink. You may not have a spouse right now, and your parents are nagging for grandchildren but are you enjoying and having contentment with which God has given you right now? 
And it's a kind that's on display in the active, joyful use and stewardship of all the blessings that God has given us. So you might be thinking now then, so aren't we just back to where we started? It sounds a lot like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. So what would I do? Do, do, I, do I indulge or do I suppress? Do I attach myself firmly to the things of this world or do I detach? And what the Bible would say is yes, no, and but wait, there's more. It affirms that, that desire, we are made with desires and it's not about getting rid of our desires, that's the point in life. But then it critiques this attachment view that we were made by God for these things. Um, and I'm sorry, it affirms that we're not to find ultimate enjoyment in uh, just simply indulging nonstop in our desires. It, it, it also critiques an indulgent hedonism because it goes simply bankrupt in the face of death, suffering, uncertainty, and it ultimately does not satisfy. The problem with both, and the problem with both is that with either one, our happiness is based and sustained by life's circumstances, which are so fickle and flimsy. But there's more. Christianity offers something even better. You can have happiness, true, lasting happiness that are not at the whim of life's troubles and it's promised to us. Christianity actually promises that to us. So how do we get that kind of happiness? What do I do then at the end of the day with these desires? Answer, you must attach your desires and indulge yourself in something or rather someone that is able and sufficient to satisfy your deepest soul longings. Let me say that one more time. You must attach yourself, your desires to indulge yourself in something or someone that is able and sufficient to satisfy your deepest soul longings. I have some bad news for you though. It's not your boyfriend. It's not your career. It's not the bucket list of restaurants and destination vacations uh, that you have for yourself. It's not even something you can find in this world. But here's the good news. The good news is that God, the one who made us, the one who made us with these desires, he sent his son Jesus into this world to meet you and I. He came, sent Jesus to save us from death and the wages of death. He's to save us from our sins, which are our desires run amok, to save us from the emptiness and the futility of this life under the sun. He died for us, Jesus did, that we would know the Father's infinite love, which is more faithful and more beautiful than any love partner or relationship. And Jesus is risen from the dead, from the grave, forever. And if you attach yourself to him by faith, you will have perfect peace, perfect peace, divine love, a kind that will never fail you. And you will know what life and love, freedom and joy, you will know what they are. They're found in him and him alone. And what you will experience then and then in only this life is but a foretaste of the promised everlasting 
satisfaction that is coming for you in the future. C.S. Lewis once said that if creatures were born with desires, sorry, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So a baby feels hungry, feels hungry, there's, there's food. Uh, if a duckling wants to swim, there's water. Uh, we feel sexual desires, well, there's a thing called sex. If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this life can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Think with me. You pin all your hopes and dreams in your job or that boy or that girl, you're going to squeeze the life out of them. Your coworkers are going to hate you. Your marriage, you're going to have big problems. And it's not because it's necessarily their fault or because they failed, but because they were never meant to satisfy your deepest heartaches. And they were not, they were not a well of inexhaustible joy that Jesus is. John Flavel, a pastor of old, a long time ago, had a beautiful way of describing what it's like when someone finds the satisfaction in Christ. He said, you're gonna find him altogether lovely. He says, all other loveliness cannot satisfy the soul of man. There is not scope enough in any one created thing or in all the natural universe of created things for the soul of man to reach out and expand but the soul still feels itself confined and narrow within these limits. This comes to pass from the inadequacy and unsuitableness of the creature to the nobler or more excellent soul of man. The soul is like a ship in a narrow river which does not have room to turn. So imagine yourself, this is a narrow river, you're a ship, you're, just, you're stuck, you can't move. It's always running aground, foundering in the shallows, but Jesus Christ is in every way sufficient to the vast desires of the soul. In him, it has sea room enough. In him, the soul may spread all its sails with no fear of touching bottom. And thus you see what is the importance of this phrase, altogether lovely. The church father Augustine said that the problem with us is not that we love too much, it's actually that we love God too little. Um, as Tim Keller paraphrases him, that only the love of the immutable, that's the unchanging God, can bring tranquility. Only an infinite love can satisfy our hunger for infinite joy. It's time to reorder our loves, as he calls it, to have God at the very core of what we love. And in the very first Psalm, it says this, blessed is the one, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, the one that's blessed, the one that does this, he is a tree that's planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. And you know what happens when you find your ultimate worth and satisfaction in God? Rooted and planted in Christ and his word, instead of taking your cues from deep inside, you will be a person deeply blessed. You will be happy. Bad things will come and your happiness won't wither. Career, relationships, life experiences, you're gonna be able to enjoy them for what they are, 
Just that, good created things that our creator God gave us to enjoy. But if you flip that order and make those things first, you're gonna find them incomplete without Jesus. Weekend joy is incomplete joy. New job joy is incomplete joy. Vacation joy is incomplete joy. New apartment joy is incomplete joy. Only Jesus can provide full joy. Uh, that's a quote from James Robertson, a, a pastor in Bridge Church here in Brooklyn. I want to finish with this. You've probably heard it said that we are what we eat. Uh, spiritually speaking, I think that's totally right. We are what we worship. We are what we love. We were made by God to know him and love him, to experience him and his infinite love, which doesn't leave us the same way he found us. May you, Exilic Church, experience more of this kind of happiness. Let's pray.